Well, good morning again. Take your Bibles to the book of Mark again, Mark chapter 4. I asked if we could sing that song again because the words of the song really fit so much what we want to talk about this morning. In Mark chapter 4, we're going to read from verse number 1 all the way down to verse number 20. And then we're going to take our Bibles over to the book of James. We're going to read, therefore, just a few verses of the book of James chapter 1 as well. So beginning in Mark chapter 4 and verse number 1, it says this. And he began to teach again by the sea, and such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down. And the whole crowd was by the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables and was saying to them in his teaching, listen to this. Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he was sowing, some seed fell upon the road, and some birds came along and ate it up, and other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. And other seeds fell into the good soil, and they grew up and increased and yielded a crop and produced thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. And he was saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Or literally, he who has ears to hear, listen. And as soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about the parables. And he was saying to them, to you it has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but those who are outside get everything in parables. So that while seeing, they may see and not perceive. And while hearing, they may hear and not understand. Otherwise, they might return and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. In a similar way, these are the ones on whom the word, sorry, the seed was sown on the rocky places who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then, when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones on whom the seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones in who, sorry, these are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enters in and chokes the word and it becomes unfruitful. And those are the ones on whom the seed was sown on the good soil and they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. And that's God's reading of the word. Take note to book of James, the book of James for just a few verses there. All through the week as I was thinking about the passage and and studying and and meditating on what it was saying, this verse just couldn't get out of my mind. The simple one that says, receive the implanted word which is able to save your soul. But it sits in a context. And the context is James chapter 1 verses uh, 19 down to number 25. So verse chapter 1 verse 19. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves to be doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not becoming a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. We're going to ask again for God's blessing this morning in the reading of his word and the preaching of his word. Father God, we ask you this morning for help. And Father, we would long to see the message go forth, the word of God preached in the power of the Spirit and not in the power of a human voice or human thinking or human logic or human reasoning. Father, we ask you this morning that my voice might end at the pulpit, but your voice, your Holy Spirit would speak to each and every heart in the room. Father, we pray that you would provoke us to love and good works. You would provoke us to godliness. You would provoke us to repentance. Father, we pray that we might come 
as we were just singing, with open hearts to hear the word of the living God. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You ever read the Bible and wonder to yourself, why is it I just don't seem to get anything out of God's word? You ever come and sit in a message like this or in some other church or wherever you go and wonder, why is it that the preaching of the Word of God just seems to go in one ear and out the other? Why is it that we have such a hard time? And I'm no different than you. I sit down sometimes with a message of the Word of God on a stereo or a system or go into another church and hear something, and it just seems to go right over my head, and it seems like I'm not getting anything out of the Word of God. I think the reason may be that we do not come prepared to ready to receive the word of God in our hearts. Jesus is standing beside the sea and he's, he, the crowds come closer so he gets into a boat and he pushes away from the land a little bit and we were chatting earlier about natural amplification and he sat down the boat and the hard surface of the water allowed his voice to be reflected up onto the hillside all around the sea and these people were standing there probably by the thousands. The, the wording is similar to verse 7 of chapter 3. A great crowd came. And Jesus begins to teach the word to them, and he teaches them in a parable, and he gives this interesting parable. And to us, you wonder, what's the point of parables? Why do we use parables? And parables are great ways to teach, because what they do, this may sound a little odd, but in a lot of ways, a lot like humor and a lot like comedy, parables pick a particular point of reference that both the listener and the speaker can kind of identify with. And when the listener hears the punchline, or here's the point of the parable, that point of reference comes together and it makes its point. And the joke is either funny or it's not, or the story has meaning and poignancy, or it doesn't, or the parable hits home or it doesn't. So there's a common point of reference for both the listener and the speaker. Now you've got to remember, Jesus is speaking in the first century AD, a vast majority of the people of Judea and that area were agricultural people. To them, him to say, listen, a sorrow went out to sow. All the guys on the hillside went, yep, know what that's all about. We know exactly what that means. It's like me saying, you got caught in Melbourne traffic, right? You're trying to get into the city at 8 o'clock on, on Monday morning to go to work, and you got stuck in the traffic. And everybody in the room goes, yep, we know what that means. That's exactly what he does. Now, the parable has an interesting lesson for all of us. He's teaching us some great things. And I want to title the message, as you can see on your little note sheet there. The message title is this, Receive the Implanted Word. And I want to lay out before you this morning four things from the text about how we receive the Word. He's teaching them about the Word of God and what it does in their life. And one of the most significant statements he makes, we'll look at the end, is the statement he says about the Word bore fruit. 30, 60, 100 fold. Some guys, I don't know how they did this, but they did some research on what kind of uh, fruitfulness that a sown seed in that day and age would have produced. And the average, a good crop would be seven times what they had sown the ground. So Jesus says 30, 60, 100. It's a miraculous, massive reaping of a harvest that could not happen any other natural way. So it's a major thing. So he's getting their attention. He's saying, listen, the sower goes out to sow. He talks about all different kinds of soil. There's four different kinds of soil he'll mention. And what we have to understand is about the parable is there's a number of things that are sort of set in stone. They, they don't change. The word that is sown, the seed that's sown, the sower who sows a seed, and then there's four variables. And the point that Jesus is making is he's asking them a question. What kind of soil are you? What kind of heart do you have to hear the word of the living God? And that's a question for every one of us this morning as we're sitting here is, how is my heart prepared to hear what God would say to me? When I come in here and I begin to preach, it's no different from me. I hear the Spirit of God speaking in my heart, and there are times when the Spirit of God impresses upon me, even our words out of my own mouth. Listen, that's something that you need to think about. And what kind of a heart have we got to hear the word of the living God? So the message for all of us to start off with is simply this. Receive the implanted word. Hear what God is saying. I want to lay out four things. Number one, spread the word. We look at the sower and his role in ministry. Uh, spread the word so it can be received. Number two, prepare the soil of your heart to receive the word. There's a lot of work in preparation that comes up in the parable. Thirdly, we are to receive it. How is it that we receive the Word of God? How is it that you listen to a message? How is it you open the Scriptures? What do you do with it 
So it actually bears some fruit in your life. It's not just sitting down, open your Bible, and letting your eyes read over the words and saying, oh, that's wonderful, and check the little checkbox and go on your way and do nothing different than you did the day before. The Word of God has got to have an impact. How do we receive it? We'll look at that. And the last one, the beautiful one, bring forth fruit from the Word. I want you to notice then, first of all, spread the Word so it can be received. And he talks about that in both verse 3. Verse 3 and verse 14, he says there, listen to this. The sower went out to sow. And then verse 14, he says, the sower sows the word. How is it that we as Christians, I want to talk about just our ministry for a second, then we'll come back to the other side of it, receiving. So in ministry, and every single person in this room, if you know Jesus as your Savior, you are involved in ministry. There is no such thing as not full-time ministry. Did you know that? Not one person, I'm in full-time ministry. You say, yeah, you get paid for it. Yes, we all get paid for it. One reward or another, we get paid for it. Now we're in heaven. But you know what? We are all, every single one of us, in full-time ministry. We're all involved in ministering the Word of God to one another and to those outside that they might come in. How are we going to do it? Number one, it requires that we know the Word of God. You cannot get up to sow the seed if you haven't got any seed. The guy who walks out, the way they used to do it, at least in America anyway, the old guys, they'd have a big sack on one side and a big strap would go over their shoulder. And the way they would do it, it was actually quite a skill. The the farmer would go along and he'd dig his hands in the seed of the the sack. And as he would walk along, he he would spread it out like that. And the way he would let go of that seed was a very practiced, very careful maneuver. Or he'd get like blobs of seed here and then nothing and then blob of seed and nothing. But a good sower... A practiced, skillful sower, farmer, could sow the seed by spreading it with his hands in a nice, beautiful, even arc, and so it would all spread out and land on the ground nice and evenly distributed. He had to have seed in his bag first. You can't go out to sow unless you know the Word of God. And my question to you right now is, how much time are you spending in the Word of God that you might both know the God of the Word and the Word of God? It requires we have been submitted. Have we submitted ourselves to what the Scriptures say? How often do we read the Scripture and go, you know, that's really good for John, but I'm not taking that from me because that's too uncomfortable. Well, that's really good for somebody else, but I'm not taking that from me. We submit ourselves to what it says, and when we come face to face with what Scripture says, we bend our will to what it says, and we are, thirdly, we are obedient to the Word of God. Isn't it easy? Read the Word of God. Oh, that's a great idea. I really wish I had time to do that. And you just kind of swing it aside and keep walking. It requires that we are obedient to the Word of God. It requires we carry the Word of God with us. He didn't put the Word of God in the ground, grab a handful, run over and throw it, then run back, another handful, run over and throw it. No, he put the Word of God with him. Everywhere he went, the Word of God, the seed was with him, and he was spreading it as he walked along the rows of the fields. As you and I go through our lives, we need to carry the Word of God with us. How many here have any kind of memorization program going on? I know a couple of you do. I do. I'm not that good at it, right? I got a few memorized. Don't quit. Don't stop. Listen, young man, if you're here this morning and you want to be involved in ministry in God's Word, here's one thing you can do more than anything else in your life to prepare for ministry. I'll say it out loud. Don't go to Bible school yet. Start off by soaking your brain in Scripture. Start off by memorizing reams and reams and reams of Scripture. There's a guy in Canada who came to visit us. I think he's actually from Dallas, Texas. And he was a pilot. He used to fly his little flight plane around. He'd land in places and he'd preach. And he'd fly somewhere else and land and preach. And he came to this church we were in. Uh, Wellburn was his name, I think. Not Steve, no. Uh, it was a different guy. We knew. And, and he, he had memorized, no joke, the entire New Testament. So he'd stand there and preach. And he'd say, you know, the Word of God says, brr, and he'd just spit up this verse. And you know, the Word of God says, brr, another verse. And you're kind of going, oh, man, the whole New Testament from Matthew 1 to Revelation 22, he had memorized memorized the concordance. No, he didn't. He, He memorized it all. And the point is this, everywhere he went, he didn't have to stop and flip over his Bible to find a verse. He had it so well carried in his mind, he could use it as he needed it. Listen, we're going to go out to sow the Word to sow the seed of the Word of God amongst the lives of both the people of God and those outside. We've got to carry it with us. 
We've got to know the word. We've got to be obedient. We've got to carry it. We've got to have harvest it for ourselves. There's a beautiful picture in the Old Testament. Uh, God said that God gave him manna in the wilderness. And every morning, the man of the home was to get up early and go out with his little bucket, his ephah bucket, I think it was, and he's to pick up one whole ephah of manna, pack in the bucket and go back, and then he would feed his family for what he himself had harvested. How are you and I going to feed each other the word of God if we haven't gone out and got it for ourselves? Men in this church, listen. Young men, old men, if you're a male in this room, listen. One of your roles, one of your responsibilities in your home is to go out and harvest the word of God for your family and bring it back and feed them. How are we doing, guys? I know my family, I could do a lot better. We need to be harvesting the word of God that we might uh, spread it and seed it, put it in the lives of our families and our homes, our wives and our kids. So number one, spread the word of God so it can be received. Secondly, we have to prepare the soil of our heart. We'll probably spend most of our time here. I want you to notice again the different types of soils, the different types of hearts, hearts, heart, this thing in your chest there. There is four kinds. Number one, there's the kind that's beside the road. And if you think about it, a road was a big kind of paved way. We were watching a, a video in class in Corinthians and how they, t- they showed us the Apian way and the different roads through the countrysides that the Romans have built. And these roads were so good that there's sections of the Apian way and the other parts of the Roman road that, was, that are still standing, still good, still solid. The stones are worn off a little bit, but they're still there. And what they would do is they walk beside the roads and the wagons and so on walk on the roads or roll on the roads. And the dirt beside the road would get compacted down as people would walk back and forth and back and forth and back and forth over that road. So it was a very hard surface. And the soil beside the road speaks of a heart that has been hardened against the word of God. And when the farmer throws his seed out there, the seed lands on the ground. It doesn't sink in. And the bird comes along and picks the seed up and goes away with it. And Jesus draws the analogy, which we'll look at, that Satan comes along and takes that word away before it can have any effect in the heart of that person. There's the hard heart. There's the rocky soil. And I thought, back and forth, what does that mean? What's he trying to talk about? And I think what he's trying to say is, listen, there are hearts which have begun to tolerate sin in their lives. And the rocks are like sin, and a farmer can't do anything with a rock. He can't, you know, chop it up small to make it grow something. A rock just won't grow a seed. He has to get rid of it. Who here is old enough to remember Joe Leaf's Outback? There's an old magazine. Oh, no, I I can't be the oldest guy in the room. It's impossible. You're older than me. I know that for sure. But there was this old cartoon, right? It was this kind of an outback guy, and he's lived out in the bush, and things were always going badly for him. And he hires this guy to come and work in the fields, and he's standing there behind the, the plow, and the horse is, like, all tired looking. And there's this boulder in the middle of the field. Well, it would have been as high as these speakers, and the light's up here, and about as big as the space in front of us. And Joe leaves saying to his hired hand, yeah, any stones you come across, just toss them over the fence, right? Well, this thing is massive, right? And he's no way to move it. And what he's talking about is sin in our lives are like those stones. They have to be removed. We can't allow that sin to remain. Third type of soil is the thorny soil. He talks about in uh, verses number... Uh, 18 and 19 there. But the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things, and so on. And I looked at that thought, you know what that is? The thorny soil speaks to us of a worldly heart. A heart that's in love and caught up and ensnared by the things of this world. And Jesus says you've got to deal with that. The fourth kind of soil is, of course, the good soil. We'll look at that last. So first of all, the hardened soil. How is it that we can break up Hardened soil. One thing you got to know about the parable that makes sense is in those days, or in, sorry, back in America and Canada, what they would do when they farm is they go in the plow in the field and they plow up all the field in big long lines and deep furrows and they go and they sow all the seed into the furrows and they turn it back over and they, they spread over so that the seed's now in the ground. Well, in, Jer- in Jerusalem and Israel, they did it differently. They would throw the seed out there on the ground, and then they would come after it with a plow. And as they would plow, the plow would then turn the soil over and bury the seed below the ground. They did it kind of in reverse. And I was thinking, what is it that he's trying to get across to us? 
And I think it's simply this, that the hardened heart has to be broken up in order that the seed of the word of God might sink into our hearts, that it might bear fruit. I put down a root and begin to push up a little plant and it might grow. It has to be broken up. You say, how is it that we break up a hardened heart? Pride, right? I don't want to hear the word of God. I don't want to hear what God has to say to me. I'm better than that. I know more. You know, I can argue my way around this verse. I can just kind of, and we just push up and we push back against that word of God that's being sown into our lives. And it's pride that says, I don't want to hear what God has to say to me. I know more than God is what we're ultimately saying. And the only way that you can break up pride is with the opposite, and that's humility. If we've got a hardened heart and some of us have hardened our hearts against what God has been trying to say to us over months and weeks and possibly even years of our lives. And what we have to do is go in and with the power of the living God, with the help of God the Holy Spirit, we break up that prideful heart and we humble ourselves before the living God. Take your Bibles, uh, Isaiah 66. Let's look there for a second. We'll look at a couple of verses Isaiah 66 and verse 2 is one of, one of these great verses. Whenever I come across, I just kind of stop. It's one of those ones that makes you stop and think. Isaiah 66 and verse 2 says this, From my hand made all these things, thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one, this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. When you're confronted with the word of God and you know the word of God is speaking to an action, a habit, or a sin in your life, and you stop, and the word of God makes you begin to tremble, and you humble your heart, that's how that hardened heart is broken up, when we humble ourselves before the living God. Look at Psalm 51 for a second. Flip over in your Bibles to Psalm 51. This is David's great penitential psalm. And he summarizes really what God is looking for us. He says in verse number 17, Psalm 51, 17, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Listen, if we don't learn to humble ourselves and live with a broken spirit before God, let me tell you something, God can come in and he can break your heart for you. And those of us who have been there, and I have, and felt the sting of the rod of God's anger and discipline because I would not humble myself, I would not soften my own heart, know what that feels like. God can break our hearts. We must cry out to God to break our house. We must humble ourselves before the living God that we might receive the word of the living God. Let's move on. The first one there is prepare the soil of your heart or prepare the hardened heart. Second one, prepare the rocky soil. Notice in verses 5 and verse 16 of Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, verse 5, he says this, Other soil fell into rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And then in verse number 16, he says this, In similar ways, these are the ones on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, who when they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy. Listen, the rocks of sin have sometimes in our life been left to lay there. And some of us are carrying on and keeping secret and hidden sins in our life. Some of us are doing it not so secret and not so hidden. And we're allowing sin to remain. And a farmer coming along with his plow, he can't see the rock below the surface. And he's going along with the plow and the horse is pulling. All of a sudden, the thing jerks to a stop and the, the plowshare hits that rock and just digs in and stops. And no matter what he tries to do, he puts a little seed on top of that. The little seed will might try to put his little root down, and he might try and get around the rock. He might try and go past it, but it can't have very much strength. It can't put a full root down. It can't have strength to go up so that when the persecutions and the afflictions of this life come crashing against us, it's got no root, and it just bends over and gives in. We have got to take the sin that's sitting in our lives and dig it out. We will not know fruitfulness in our life. We will not see God bearing fruit in our lives while we allow sin to remain. And the problem is for so many of us, and I mean us, not you, I mean us. So many of us have tolerated for year after year sin in our lives that stops us 
that stops the word of God from bearing fruit in my life. Listen. God will not tolerate a divided heart. He will not allow you to tolerate sin and seek his blessing at this very same time. What kind of sin has been left to rot in your life? What kind of sin is hardening below the surface? What kind of sin have you left there? And you wonder why you open the word of God and you read and you don't get anything out of it. You read, you hear the scriptures preached and it just goes in one ear and out the other. I lied to my dad about something years ago uh, when I was a teenager. And um, I bought this little guitar effects pedal. I think I might have told you a story once already, but I'll tell you again anyway. I bought, yeah, I told you. I bought this little pedal like the one up there that John owns. And uh, my dad came out of my room, and it was, a, it was a digital delay thing, so I could do like the edge, you know, playing music. And it was fun. I, I didn't sound anything like the edge, don't worry. And my dad looks at this thing. He said, wow, that's really cool. How do you do that? And I said, the little pedal there. And he goes, oh, that's cool. How much did that cost? Well, let's just say it did cost what I said. It just happened to cost about $200 more than what I said, too. So later on, and I come home from church, and I was reading the Bible, and, and I could not, it didn't make any sense. It's like I was reading Greek. I mean, I hadn't been to Greek class yet. And I kept reading back and forth, and the only thing going through my mind was, you lied to your dad, you better go confess it. And I look at the words, and the words didn't say that, but that's all I was hearing. And the more I tried and tried and tried, I kept putting it aside and putting it aside. And my time with the Word would get dry. I couldn't get anything out of it. My times in prayer were just stiff and awkward because I was allowing sin to remain. When you come into this place to hear the Word of God preached, when you open your Bibles in your home to hear the Word of God preached, if you're not going before the living God and saying, Lord, clean me out. Show me my sin that I might confess it and repent it, that I might have a heart that is prepared and ready to receive the word of God. And Jesus is saying, listen, the rocky soil has no depth. The fruit that's planted there, the seed that's planted in there, the word of God can bear no fruit because as soon as it cuts up a little bit, there's no root to support the structure. The winds and the storms and the temptations of life come along and that little plant is just flattened over. And immediately, it says he immediately, in verse number, uh, where is it? Yeah, verse 17. And they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, it doesn't say in a little while, it says immediately they fall away. Why is it you struggle so much with temptation? Why is it you're struggling so much with, with difficulties in your life? Is it possible that the sin has been left there below the surface and you haven't dug it out and so the word has no root into your life. It hasn't borne fruit in you. And so when afflictions, troubles in life and temptations come roaring along, you just fold over flat. You got to dig the roots, do the rocks of sin out of your life. I want to give you one more piece of advice. I know I'm taking more longer than I probably should, but listen. Growing up, I was always attracted to a certain kind of friend, the one that was usually in trouble or something, right? Those of you who know me well enough can smile because you know it's true. Oh, a lot of you are smiling. Yeah, there you go. And I was, there was that one guy that was always the one in the principal's office, and for some reason I just was naturally drawn to that person, and I'd get to hang out with him, and you know what I started doing? Everything he was doing. And we had, I had this friend named Dave in school. We had so much fun. It was Well, it was all wrong, mostly. Anyway, and we got into trouble one time after another, after another, after another. I moved away, and I got to a new set of friends. And you know what I found? I found that one guy that was still always just riding the very edge. And the thing was, as I was doing those things with Dave, I knew I shouldn't be doing. And my heart was convicting me over and over and over again. And Dave got married, and his wife was wise. She saw that our connection together meant that Dave would just keep walking this, this shallow, weak, duplicitous Christianity, and she pulled us apart. And Dave began to grow in the Lord. You know, I got a little later, another friend, same thing. Another friend, same thing. And finally, one day, I realized, you know what, Nelson? You're a dummy. You need to stop and consider who it is you're hanging out with. Listen, young men, pick on you particularly. The friends that you are hanging out with, let me ask you this question. Are they drawing you closer to the Lord? Are they promoting and prompting and pushing you towards godliness or holiness, or are they pulling you away? By the way, there's no middle ground. 
They are either pushing you towards God or they're pulling you away. They're pushing you to live a godly life or they're pulling you to live a sinful life. Listen to what the book of Psalms says. Psalm chapter 1 and verse 1. This great little psalm that begins the psalm. It's, it's a wisdom psalm and it, it gives us a way to understand the psalms as a whole. It says this. How blessed is the man who does not does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. It's in the word of God. Listen, if you're walking with that group of people that are constantly pulling you away, that are not pushing you, not pushing you and prompting you and encouraging you and building you up to walk more godly and more holy before the living God, they're going to destroy you. They're going to pull you down. A friend of mine gave me a little illustration one day. He said, stand up on the chair. Okay, I stood in the chair. He said, now, and he, he was half my weight, which all y'all are. And so he says, okay, I'm beside you. He took my hand. He said, now you pull me up or I'll pull you down. I weigh twice what he does, and I could lift a lot more than he could. You know I couldn't pull him up for anything. He just stood there, and then I pulled him, pulled him, pulled him, pulled him, pulled him. Finally, he, just, he reached up, and he just yanked, and I came down with hard. That's exactly what it's like to walk with those friends in your life who are not pushing and pulling you on towards godliness. Young men, make a decision in your life. Young women, the same. Make a decision, a determination in your heart and in your life that you will live a godly, holy life. And some of you are going to have to do what I did not so long ago and say, you know what, there are certain friends in my life that if I carry on this relationship, I'm going to keep walking a duplicitous life. I'm going to keep riding that edge. I had to finally say, enough. And be willing to be alone with God in his word, listening to what he had to say. And I began to dig those rocks out of my life. And you know, some of them will take time. But what I'm urging you this morning, if that's your heart, if you're the rocky heart that's allowing sin to tolerate, confess that sin, seek God's forgiveness, and replace those ungodly, unbiblical habits and thinkings with godly ones. Dig it out and put in good soil in replace and and pack it down, that when the word of God goes in, it might bear fruit for God. Third one. Prepare your... No, there it is. Prepare the thorny ground. That's the worldly heart. Look in verse number 7 and verse number 18 of Mark 4. He says this in verse 7, Of the seed fell among the thorns, and the thorn came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. And then in verse number 18 he says this, And others are the ones on whom the seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word of God, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. If you want to know what thorns look like, walk out into my front yard, and you'll find them. They're all little ones on the ground, right? And I do the, the best thing I can do. I mow the grass down low and flat so it's all kind of green, and you don't notice it. But the reality is those thorns are malicious, you get down there and you grab on that little thorn and you try and pull it out. And then the weak spot, and they're so sneaky, the weak spot is right about ground level, you know. And you grab on that little thorn and you pull it. And what happens? The, the, the root stays and the top comes off. Right? Just about drives me crazy. So I get my hammer out in the ground and dig up the ground in a big hole and pull the, the root out and throw it away. Rick is dying of horror the, the, what I'm doing in my yard. But listen, the reality is you put that grass down, put that grass seed down, you spread it all out there, and it begins to grow. And you can't see the thorns because the thorn seed's down below. The weeds are down below the surface. And it takes a little while for that weed to come up. But what I discovered was the little while for the little thorn to come up, the little weed to come up, he's getting a good root ready, and he starts coming up. And when he hits the ground surface level, he's doing Mach 4, up through the thing. And as fast as you pull it out, he's growing again. And you pull it out, and he grows again. And that's exactly what the worldly lifestyle is like. When we fall more in love with the things of the world than the love with the things of God, that worldness keeps coming up, and we have to keep pulling it off and digging it out, and it comes up again, and we pull it off. You say, what's worldliness? What does that mean? It means learning to think with the same desires, the same affections that the man of the world thinks with instead of the way God thinks. Listen. It talks about the uh, worries of the world. Flip over to Matthew chapter 6. Over in your Bibles to Matthew 6. I want to read. It's a bit of a long section, but it gives us exactly the point. Jesus is talking about worries. 
and all the worries that we go through. And all of us worry, right? These aren't wrinkles in age. They're worry, right? You're, you're worrying about something, and you're frowning, and you're scurrying, and you're worrying. And what it refers to, what it shows us, is a lack of faith in the living God to provide for our needs. And Jesus said, look, the thorns, like the worries of the world, they come up and they choke out the word of God. Listen to the worries. He says in verse 25, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is life not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more worth than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They don't toil, they don't spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. That means the unbelievers seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Listen. Worldly thinking is to worry about the things that the world worries for, is to have our focus on and our desire on the things that the world is driven for. It's to worry about things that have no part in the life of a believer. Yes, believers wear clothing and eat food. I didn't mean that. What I mean is, it's not our focus. And Jesus is saying, listen, you lack faith. And the reason why we allow the thorns of worldliness to wrap themselves around the word of God is we're lacking in faith. So what do we do with that? We plead with God for more. There's other things there. There's the deceitfulness of riches. Man, you look around, right? Riches, and you think, man, if I just had that much money, I could do... You know, if I just had that much more money, I could do all these other things, and, and I could ease my worries and ease my stress. And, and, oh, you know, if I just had this. You know what the Bible says about money like that? Look at Proverbs 23. Take your Bible, pick up your Bible, and turn over to Proverbs chapter 23. Or open your iPhone and scroll to Proverbs, select verse 23, and then scroll down to verse number 4. Proverbs 23, what does he say? Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Is that ever a message for our age, our day? Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. We think we could win the lottery. Oh, man, the work I could do for God if I just won the lottery. Yeah, not Captain and pal. You know how many guys have won the lottery and wound up bankrupt? It's like 90%. It's huge. You think riches. We think that that will give us something we can, we, that we lead. We think it'll fill up our lives. It'll make us happy. Look at the wealthy people's lives splashed all over the tabloid magazines, all over the news magazines. They're the most unhappy, miserable people in the world. And yet how many of us as believers are so worried about riches and so concerned about our stock value or our investment value or the value of our houses and all those other things. Worldliness like those things creeps up and it chokes out the word. And so you can't hear what God is saying to you. What do you do? What's the answer? Armed with faith in God, we stop. We put those things. We get brutal with the worries of the world. Don't pull them out with tweezers. Get a crowbar and dig that root out of there. Dig that thorny piece out so that the word of God can bear fruit in your life. We have to prepare in order to receive the word. We have to prepare as the word is sown. We have to prepare as the word brings forth fruit. The farmer doesn't go out there and sow all the seed and go, right, see in six months and go inside and play video games. He goes out every day and he pulls all the weeds out. He goes out every day, looks for all the weevils and bugs that are growing on the plants and pulls them all off. I watched this movie years ago about um, the South, uh, the southern United States after the Civil War. And these guys are going in. They were absolutely dirt poor, had nothing. And they discovered a new kind of crop that was being grown and sold. It happened to be tobacco plants. And they came in with this little tiny bag of seeds like, like this. It was tiny. 
and they put it in the soil and they raise little plants and little plants begin to grow and they pull them all out and they literally plant this acres and acres and acres of these tobacco plants. Have you ever been down there and seen those in the south? The tobacco, like this high. Eight, these plants grow from the tiniest seed, like massive. And one of the guys is walking through the fields and he looks on and he sees this bug, the most grossest, kind of like a witchetty bug, but like bigger and uglier. And, the, and he goes through and he finds these bugs all over the tobacco plants. You know what I'm talking about. And he pulls them all off. They have to go up there and they spend hours pulling all these bugs off. And as fast as they pull them off, the more of them show up. You know, someone figures out you have to get down to the very root of this plant and put a special solution around the root of the plant that stops the bug from coming up. What it means is this. We need to prepare our hearts to receive the word of God on an ongoing basis. It isn't just once. It's every single day dealing with sin. It's every single day dealing with the hardness of our heart that creeps in because of pride. It's every single day dealing with the struggles of worldliness and the desire for riches, the desire for other things. People of God, listen. How much time and effort are you putting into preparing your heart that you might hear what God is saying to you? We've been praying and praying and praying, a few of us, for revival in this church. That God would light a fire in us, that that fire would burn incredibly hot and incredibly bright, that we would see this community and our lives radically changed for Jesus Christ. And part of it is digging out the sin. It's part of it is breaking up the hardness of our hearts. Moving on. We prepare our hearts to receive the word of God. Number four point is this. We receive the word. Receive it. How do we do that? Well, Jesus gives us a couple of clues right in Mark chapter 4. He says in verse number 15, number 16, and number 20, he says the same thing. They heard the word. doesn't mean it goes in one ear and out the other. It means you hear it, you take it. He says they accepted the word in verse number 20. We didn't argue with it. We don't try to explain it away. We don't try to find a way around it and cut off the principle. We hear what it says and we accept it. The idea of receiving in the New Testament doesn't mean just to take something as, okay, here's a gift, good, great, throw it in your pocket. The idea of receiving something is to receiving in such a way that it is consistent with the value of what we are receiving. So when you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, he isn't your co-pilot. He is your master, your king, and your Lord. We receive him as he is, as God. So we receive the word of God as it is, God's very words. Who's ever had someone who's famous by the world sounds talk to them? Nobody. Never yet met some guy in a, in a market or somewhere or met on a plane airport and gone, oh, that's so-and-so. And you have a chat with him and you always remember the words he says to you. I remember uh, I met with, uh, wouldn't mean anything to you probably, but Brian Mulroney, Mulroney. Yeah. Prime Minister of Canada in the 1980s or 90s, I think. And I met him in downtown Vancouver and I still remember saying hello to him. And you think, you're all going... Who's, who's Brian Maroney, Maroney? It's like saying I met Kevin Rudd or something like that. You know? <laughs> no, no. And I remember what I said. I, it was probably close to 30 years ago. You're looking down and you're holding in your hands the words of the living God. Are you receiving them as such? We hear it. We accept it. In verse number 16, the one with no soil, it says immediately with joy. They received the word of God with joy. Even though they didn't last long, there was a joy in them as they got what God was saying to them. It didn't have any root. It didn't go very far. But you and I need to open our hearts to hear what the word of God says. And when we seize it, we seize on it with joy. We hang on to it. We need to learn to treasure the word of God. James chapter 1, what's he say? It says we obey the word of God. Don't be doers of the word only, but, or hearers only, but doers also. In other words, when you hear what the Word of God says, we put it into action. We see what we look like in the mirror, and we respond, so we change. I get up, look in the mirror, horrifying fright. I try and have a shower and comb my hair and make some sense of what I can see and try and make it improve it, right? Guys and girls go into a bathroom. The guy spends an hour there. He comes out looking pretty much the same as he went in. A girl goes to the bathroom, spends an hour there, comes out looking like a million dollars. It's just the way things are. We look in the Word of God... 
The Word of God shows you who you are and what you are like infinitely greater than a mirror can. But how many of us are looking and seeing what it says and putting up the pride and putting up the hardness to resist it and push against it? We receive the Word by hearing it, by accepting it, by rejoicing it, by obeying it. We treasure it. How important is the Word of God to you? How important is it in your life? You can get by without your coffee. Well, you guys can, I can't. You can get by without this and that. But you know what? Who here has ever fasted for a couple of days or a week or so? I had a friend in Canada. A couple of days. Some of you fasted a little while. You go without food. The first day, what do you think about from day from minute one to minute you go to bed? Lunch. Right? Burger. I tried fasting. I thought it lasted for a while. I did, seriously. And uh, all I could think about was just anything that I could put between my teeth right, and eat. And the second day you fast, it's not so bad. You, you don't notice it. And then by the third day, you know, you, the, the hunger cravings go away. The, the longing for food begins to recede. I had a friend who fasted for 11 days. He said by day five and six, even though he was starting to feel tired and weary from not eating, he said he'd lost, almost completely lost the desire for food. It just went away. And you say, what's your point? The Word of God is your feeding. The first day, if I'm on a consistent reading program and I carry on and I do what I'm doing, the first day I miss my reading program, you know what? I crave it all day. I, I, there's something wrong. My, you know, my shoes are on the wrong feet. You know, the, the car's not driving right. My computer won't work. All that stuff. It's nothing that. It's just that I'm so missing the Word of God in my life. It, it, I can feel it everywhere I go. The second day I skip my reading program, you know what? It's not so bad. Third day, not so bad. Fourth week, hardly even notice it. We need to be receiving the Word constantly taking it in, see it, feeding ourselves on it. And the last point I want to make is this. We need to bear fruit from that received word. Notice in chapter 4 and verse 8, he says it yielded a crop 30, 60, 100 times. I told you before, it's a massive, miraculous crop of, of fruit that has been brought from that seed. It's an indication that it's only God, only God that can produce that return. Listen, we want to see ourselves bearing fruit. John the Baptist The guys came for for baptism. He says, go away and bear some fruits in keeping with repentance. You know what he's saying? He's saying, go and see God work in your life and bring forth the fruit of a changed life in response to your repentance. The the idea of putting the word in isn't just a soak up word and become so word filled that we're useless to nobody. It's to bear fruit. But you never notice a tree. A tree doesn't take its apple and then somehow ingest the apple, does it? No, the tree bears the apple. The apple drops. Laura comes on, picks up the apple, and and she eats it. And it's a good-tasting treat. What's the point? The fruit that we bear is not for our own glory and our own benefit. The fruit that we bear for God is for God's glory and for each other's benefit. Why is it I want to soak up the Word of God as much as I possibly can, memorize Scripture, learn all that stuff, and just invest my mind in the Word of God? Why? So I can be smart? I haven't done so far, but you know what? So I can feed the people of God. So I can feed my family. So I can feed you guys. I can feed anybody else. I can spread the gospel. Because when I do that, and I realize right away, it's not me. Left to myself, I couldn't accomplish anything. It's all God's work in me, taking the word that I've soaked up and eaten with all my strength, and he begins to bear that fruit in my life, and then I can begin to feed other people. One of the reasons, I think, to be perfectly frank, while we're not seeing revival, while we're not seeing growth in our lives, is number one, we have not prepared our hearts to receive the word of God. Number two, we are not We're not receiving the word of God the way it's supposed to be. And God is not bringing forth fruit in our lives. A lot of it's because we're allowing sin to remain. We've allowed worldliness to grow up and choke out that word. And we are doing what we are doing simply out of religious practice. Now, some of you might take offense to me saying that. And I'm sorry if you do. And my pleading with you, my pleading with the Lord God, is that he would change all of us. And I put myself in that us just right alongside of you. 
that he would put within us a burning passion, a burning desire, a craving. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Right? You hunger and thirst for God's righteousness. You hunger and thirst for God's word. Jesus is saying the sower is sowing the seed. Some of it's falling on hard ground. Some of it's falling on thorny ground. Some of it's falling on rocky ground. But some of it, praise God, is falling on good ground. My question to you this morning is what kind of ground are you? What kind of preparation in your heart has been done to receive the word of God? Let's pray. Would you stand with me? We're going to close in prayer. Loving Father, we give you thanks again this morning for your grace and your kindness. And Father, each one of us at this moment can stop and think back to that person, that time, that moment, that event where the gospel was shared with them. And Father, I want to stop for a moment and give you thanks for Larry, who stopped in the middle of his busy schedule to take a week off to spend with 10 rebellious little brats and share the gospel with them. Father, I thank you for the men in my life who got after me and kicked me and provoked me to spend more time in your word, to know your word, to grow in your word. Father God, I plead with you this morning for this church. Father, I pray that you would take the word of God and you would help them to humble themselves and break up the hardness of their hearts, to tear down the walls of pride that they might hear the word of God, that it might bear fruit. Father, some of us are getting so caught up in the worries and the fears and the the deceitfulness of riches in this world. Father, help us. I plead with you, O God, help us as a people to realize that we are citizens of a different place, citizens of a heavenly kingdom. Father, help us to trust you and and stop worrying about the things that the Word worries about. But, Father, help us to be soaking our minds and our hearts in the Word of God that we might bear fruit. Father, we plead with you that the one in this room, the one or two that are harboring sin, and it is bearing terrible, terrible results. Father, I plead with you that you would give them grace that you would show them the loveliness of the Lord Jesus and the word of God, that they might come and dig up the rocks of sin and get rid of them in their lives and fill the places in with good soil, that they might bear fruit as the word is implanted. Father, we pray this morning that you would give us a great hunger and a great thirst for righteousness, a great thirst, O God, for the word of life, the word of a living God. Father, we plead with you that you would do a work at Casey Bible Church, that you would revive our hearts, that we would burn hot and bright and long for Jesus. We ask you, O God, these things, giving thanks in his name. Amen.